Hi there, everybody. I am Mike Westendorf. I'm joined with Pastor Pete Panitsky on what is going to be our first edition of what we're going to just call for starters, Great Questions, Great Conversations. Uh, over the past week, we did a uh, sermon series. It was the last of our um, our message series, but we were really focusing on the idea of doubts. And we asked uh, people in uh, our worship services, tell us something that is been on your mind that has been a struggle, uh, a doubt, an uncertainty. And so a whole bunch of different questions came in to Pastor Pete. He put them together into some uh, some order for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, hopefully about 10 to 15 minutes and go through these questions topically. And so uh, that's where we're going to start today. Pastor Pete, hello. Welcome to the first ever. Wow. Exciting. Right. We've been talking about this for a little while, so we're yeah. excited to see it come together. And uh, why don't you, just from a context standpoint, um, because, again, where did these doubts come up? What was the, the gist of you had shown us a chain with links and a strong metal chain, and you had equated that to the veracity, the inerrancy of the scripture that's been handed down from Jesus' time to our time. Can you just catch us up a little bit on on that before we start with the questions? Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, so last uh, Sunday was Transfiguration Sunday. And the whole idea that the Transfiguration, Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration in all of his glory as the Son of God to reassure the disciples that, that the one who was about to suffer and die for them is God himself. Uh, to, to help them deal with doubts. And, and doubt is just a fact of life for us as Christians. We are not, none of us, perfect believers. There's always questions that come up. Uh, and God used the transfiguration to help Peter. And then as Peter wrote about the transfiguration about 35 years later in his second letter, he used the transfiguration as a this can reassure you and, and remove some of your doubts. And he talked about the, the, the chain links that unite what, what, what he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration all the way down to us. Right. And so there was an eyewitness that Peter was an eyewitness, and we have other eyewitnesses of what Jesus did, and especially his resurrection. Uh, and then in the letter... Peter says, you know, I'm gonna, I know that I'm going to suffer a martyr's death. Uh, and that's interesting that he's willing to suffer a martyr's death for this. this right. Peter's saying, this isn't something I'm making up. I, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to die for this, that I saw Jesus in all of his glory. I saw the one who was dead alive again. Uh, and he says, I, I'm going to make sure that after I'm dead, this, my written, my my witness will be recorded. So he made sure that it was written down. And so we have the Gospels that record that, that testimony. The, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles so that there, here's another strong link that there's this idea that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit's going to work through them and, and guide them into all truth. Um, and then the, Peter mentions how the, the early Christian church gathered up Paul's letters, that it wasn't some group of guys in some, you know, smoky back room deciding what's going to be in the Bible, you know, uh, that it was actually 
uh, the early church, as soon as Paul wrote his letters, the early church was gathering them as, oh, this is part of the inspired text. And, and uh, even, for example, as you read John's gospel, it's obvious that John is familiar with the other gospels, that they, yeah. the early Christian church knew about them and, and recognized them as inspired text. Uh, and then we don't have any of the original, they call them autographs, you know, what what Paul actually wrote on the the papyrus that he actually wrote on, but what we have are thousands of handwritten copies, uh, and God be praised, there are women and men who just devote their entire lives to studying these handwritten copies and and making sure that that what we're reading is uh, truly based on what was recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, uh, Peter, uh, and then. Uh, my last point uh, was we have transparent translators, you know, mm -hmm. that, again, some people say, oh, you know, they're making the Greek and the Hebrew say anything that they want. And right. and the translators are just being really open and honest and just saying there are some places you see a footnote in the text where you just go, we don't know for sure uh, what this word meant because it's only been used once or twice and we we determine a meaning of a word in a different language by context. So, so they are transparent. They're just being open and saying there, there are some passages that we, we can't be sure of. And you'll see that in the footnote. So, And, and one thing that, that you said that was really helpful is while there are some, some of these things that we've got some questions or uh, translation could go one way or the other way, that none of this has to deal with doctrine. Um, that it, there, these are very small points where, where the, the main point is still the main point. Uh, you had an example that you used. Yeah, what, yeah. I, I like to use that. the example of uh, the Lord be with you and the Lord be with us. In Greek, it is one letter difference. So it doesn't come as a surprise that obvious would have different, you know, what they would hear it differently, perhaps. Uh, and so about half of the Manuscripts have the Lord be with you and half have the Lord be with us. We can't be sure what Matthew actually wrote, but it ultimately doesn't make any difference. God is with us. That's what we want to know. Right, right. And so that that is very helpful that when people talk about all of those errors in the Bible, um, we're not talking about doctrinal errors and there really aren't that many of them. It's a small, small, small fraction of right. what's actually translated. Right, but less, less than 1% of the text is in yeah. question, and no doctrine of Scripture. The denominational differences have nothing to do with doctrine or with uh, textual differences. Uh, there, we'll talk about those later. Yeah, well, this is this particular episode is dealing with the 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 doubts around the textual questions, and so I'd like there's three that we want to try to cover real quick today. Um, and the first one came from uh, one of the folks who was was in the uh, the pews with us. Matthew chapter 17, it's the transfiguration account. You read verse 20, and then at least in my translation, and I'm I'm still using a 78 translation, but uh, of the NIV, it goes from verse 20 to verse 22. Um, and so the question is, what happened ver with verse 21? Is this an evidence that the Bible has more errors in it? Yeah, and I, I love this question. Now, first of all, because it shows that uh, my dear sister in Christ was opening up her Bible and reading along, mm -hmm. uh, because it's actually just a little bit past the account of the transfiguration. 
So she was reading God's word, you know, great. Uh, but it's also a, a, a marvelous example of, of what do the translators do uh, as they look at the manuscript. So at, as part of my training, I, I learned Greek and, and our Greek New Testament has an apparatus at the bottom of the page. And so I looked at that section and about half the manuscripts have verse 21 and about half of them don't. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 21 is that's in some of the manuscripts is the same wording that's in Mark 9.29. So as you are, and it's the same account. So Mark's account and Matthew's account. It's the same account of uh, a, a young boy who's demon-possessed. And Mark's gospel adds the comment that Jesus said, these come out only by fasting and prayer. Ah, uh, yes. And when the translation or when the, the text is half of the half of the manuscripts don't have it and half of them do, then you scratch your head and go, hmm, how why is that? And it's generally assumed that if if uh we, we know that Jesus said it because it's in Mark's gospel. Mm -hmm. That probably as some copyists, as they were copying down Matthew's gospel, uh, they they would be probably recording some of this from memory. Uh, they were much more oral learners than we are. Uh, and so are they probably writing some of this from memory? They didn't glance back and forth at the text. Uh, and they probably added oh, I know this story, and they added this phrase that's actually in Mark's gospel. At least that's what the translators are assuming. But notice they are transparent. They're saying, you know what? There is some manuscripts that have verse 21, and they're just saying, we think it wasn't part of the original Matthew gospel, but this is a great example doesn't change the doctrine because it is part of the inspired text. We're just know for sure that it's in Mark. We're not really sure that it was in the, on Matthew's original document. That, that's helpful as I, as you're talking and I'm thinking, okay, you know, there are a number of stories that are recorded from different, you know, in different gospels that, that they overlap, that they tend to provide additional perspective uh, into what is happening. It's like almost instead of one dimension, two dimension, three dimensions, you get a chance to see that differently. And so the the idea that what you said, Jesus said it, um, according to this account, it's just that in Matthew's gospel, he didn't write that particular piece down. We get additional information. And the fact that it's not in Matthew's gospel does not mean it didn't happen. Right. It happened. So the the truth of the whole of that and this is another one of those examples of why you want to read your Bible and get familiar with the whole of the Gospels, because mm -hmm. there's, there's perspective there. Yeah, and and, uh, and and again, it could have been in Matthew's original. Right. The right. Translators, translators are just being transparent and saying, we just don't know for sure. That's great. Yeah. The next one that came in... Um, I'll, I'll read this a little bit. Um, there's some good context into this, but uh, this kind of speaks to what we're talking about. And there's a flaw here. If humanity is flawed and humans wrote the Bible and decided on the books, which we've talked a little bit about, 
how is the Bible inerrant? Um, unbelievers think it's errant. It, it, it has errors, but believers do as well. Um, this whole idea that some, now you get into places where different, uh, college professors or different people will hold to the old Testament is just historical fiction because there are numerous errors, yada, yada, yada. The basic idea though, if humanity is flawed and humans wrote the Bible, can we trust it? I think it's a fair that is a really good question and that's why uh it's important to realize that when we talk about the 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 term inspiration or verbal inspiration what we mean is the that the holy spirit inspired or breathed into the apostles and prophets the very words to record so verbal word for word inspiration you know and sometimes we think oh it's these two or three proof texts that say the Bible is inspired. The reality is it's woven all the way through the Bible. So as you read the Old Testament prophets, notice how often uh, the prophets say the Lord said. Mm -hmm, yeah, or as true. you read through the Gospels, Jesus says, you know, as the Holy Spirit spoke through Isaiah, uh, or, or uh, you know, the, the Apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament as, as inspired, word for word. In fact, I love, there's one passage in Galatians chapter 3 where he makes the argument based on whether it's the word is singular or plural. And in, and in Hebrew, it's only one little letter. Paul, as he was writing, certainly knew that word for word inspiration of the bible that was his approach and that's the way the whole bible talks about it and either the bible is true and it's inspired like it says it is or it's lying about the most important thing it could possibly lie about perhaps you've heard that argument lord liar lunatic yes you know c.s either Lewis. yeah Mm -hmm. Either Jesus is Lord, like he said, he's a liar, or he's crazy. Right. And the same is true of the prophets and the apostles. They certainly claim we are inspired. And if they are lying about what is truly the most important thing, that this we're saying this comes from God. If they're lying about that, then we shouldn't trust any of it. Right. So it's it's an all or nothing. It's not, oh, we'll take a little bit or not a little bit. Right. And that's where you go back and you follow the, the the chain of evidence all the way back to the Savior. Yeah, very good. Appreciate that response. Uh, last one that we're going to do for this episode, um, and this I've had this question too. Um, the idea of when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, uh, forty days without food or water. Um, all right, there's there's divinity here, but uh, Chris Hemsworth has a uh, uh, out on Disney Plus. It's a, called Limitless, and he's trying to um, do things today that will let him have a healthier body and live longer, more effectively. And so he goes on one of these fasts, and they talk about you know what happens after about day four, you know, and certainly we we know what happens when you get dehydrated, um, and so. It, it's kind of a, a practical question. Um, how, uh, you know, 40 days without food or water, 
Um, how does Jesus do that? Um, there was a reference. Elijah did it. Yeah, yeah. Forty nights. Right. Moses did it. Forty days and forty nights. Yes. Right. right. So how? How? What are we? How are we to make sense of this? Because again, there are other theologians. I mean, people with degrees like you have who've right, read it and right. said this. This probably didn't happen, which just confuses more people. How, how are we to try to make sense of this? Yeah, and, and I really appreciate this question because uh, there are so many of these. Uh, ultimately, it's the question, do we believe that there are supernatural things that can happen? Um, and... Based on Netflix, a lot of people believe supernatural stuff happens. I mean, yeah. that stuff yeah. catches wind in our culture. And so even though we're like, ah, that didn't happen, but we lean into the shows and to our culture that says stuff happens. Yeah. And an example that I, I love to use is, you know, uh, most, or jo Jonah is three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And Jesus said that too. It's not just Jonah. Jesus said that. The, yeah. All the Gospels record this, or three of the Gospels record this, that Jesus said he was in the belly three three days and three nights. I don't know about you, but if I throw something up that's been in my belly for three days or three nights, it ain't going to look good. No. You know, uh, and, and uh, just this whole, whole idea, how could this be? There are all kinds of these questions and ultimately comes back to this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? You know, uh, you, Mike, you know that I, I do my daily Bible reading, and I call I call it my fellowship of the empty tomb. That every day I'm opening up the Bible, and I'm just inviting people. Let's go and see if that tomb really is empty. Because if the tomb is empty, if the Bible is true, if Jesus has risen from the dead, then all these other miracles. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer of how God did it, but if He can raise the dead, somehow He can cause these men to survive what would otherwise be impossible. Yeah. Uh, and that's how Jonah stayed alive for three days in the belly of a big fish, because our God can do the impossible. Yeah. And I appreciate that. It, it still all hinges back to did Jesus rise from the dead or not? Uh, right. That, is on that. Yeah. That's, that is, uh, that is ultimately the question. All of these other things are 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 puzzling to us. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. um, but it all hinges on if Jesus hasn't risen, then we are, like Paul said, well, we, we are to be pitied more than all people right. because we're trusting in something that didn't happen. And so I'm going and cross-examining the witnesses over and over again as I read and saying, Lord, prove to me again that that tomb was empty on Easter. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, then okay, Lord, I'll believe the rest of it too. Right, right. Well, thank you. This has uh, been an awesome opportunity to talk about great questions and have some great conversation. And so for all of our viewers and listeners, I hope that uh, that this has been helpful to you. Uh, we'll be doing a couple more episodes of this because there were a number of additional uh, topics that came up uh, that we're kind of grouping our doubts into. And so we'll be releasing some additional episodes as well to hopefully answer some of the questions that you have. And if you find this helpful, please make sure that you share it through your various social media means and um, and then let us know how how we can continue 
uh, to help people grow uh, closer to Jesus by growing closer to his word. So, uh, Pastor Pete, thank you. This was an awesome first step, and uh, I can't wait till the next one. Thanks, Mike. God bless. All right. 